But my guess is that many of you came to hear a particular story, um, a story of a man named Jesus, but not just any man. He was the son of God who came down to earth as a atoning sacrifice um, to die on a cross for our sins. And then three days later to raise from the dead in victory over sin and death. My guess is you've heard that story before. And although that is the greatest story that we can tell, I'm not sure how much we believe it anymore. I'm not sure how much it means to some of us anymore. And so I want to tell you a different story this morning. One you might not be familiar with hearing at Easter time. And we're going to be in John's gospel chapter four. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to John chapter four. This scripture will also be uh, behind me on the screen. And I'm going to start in verse one of John chapter four. says this, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. But when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. And a quick side note, if you're familiar with church history, you come from a place that likes to count numbers and how many baptisms we get this week, how many last week. Now you know Jesus isn't into that. He just said it here. Verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sachar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? See, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. A Samaritan woman, in fact. And how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks? And herds. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right. When you say that you have no husband, the fact is that you've had five husbands and the man that you're now with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you're, when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has come now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, 
The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come, this be, could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Skip down to verse 39. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. My guess is that many of you probably have heard that story before as well. It's simply known as the woman at the well or some refer to it as Jesus and the Samaritan woman. But before we go any further, I want to mention something. There is this thing that is called alternative wisdom. This is where you take a story and you look more closely at what is going on. And then you realize that it's different than what seems to be happening on the surface. And this is where you can pull out real truths or, or meaning. You see, scripture is full of truth and meaning that have shaped my life and lead me deeper into what it means to be human. And these scriptures and stories, they don't ultimately lead us to a deeper meaning of humanity. Then why are we here? What are we doing? Why, why do we tell these stories? And then within there is this idea inside of alternative wisdom that would suggest that fair, uh, uh, familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. And unfamiliarity breeds contempt. And what I mean by that is if you've heard a story before and you think you know something about it, you're familiar with it. And that knowing begins to breed this unfamiliarity where you really don't actually know what's happening about the story. And then that breeds contempt. And so when someone takes you back to an original story that you knew and they begin to tell you what's really going on and you realize that what you thought you knew, you didn't even know, it can set off, set off a variety of red flags and bombs and fireworks and alarms. And so I want to invite you this morning to some alternative wisdom. And my hope that this morning you'll see your story within this story and find some deep truth and meaning for your life. The midday sun shone down on her neck as she adjusted the weight of the jar and continued on her way. Her thoughts wandered as she tried to block out the scorching heat. It would be so wonderful if I could go to the well when everyone else did. It'd be so much easier than trudging here at the hottest time and all alone, she thought sadly to herself. Oh, how she longed for conversations, friendships with other women. She allowed herself to imagine for a brief moment what it was. Uh, it was evening and that at the end of her journey, she would be greeted by friendly faces, welcoming women who would, who would share with her the news of their lives and ask about her own. She imagined laughter and camaraderie as the women turned and took turns recounting different parts of their day. But her reverie was cut short as she approached the well. You see, it wasn't abandoned as it usually it was when she came for water. Instead, a man, a man sat alone and she tried to quickly look down and avoid eye contact. But when he glanced up, his gaze caught hers and she couldn't look away. It was as if he looked right through her. 
You see, one doesn't have to look very far to understand why this woman was alone. Most women traveled to retrieve water at the same time of the day, morning or evening when it was the coolest. But this woman came by herself. And when Jesus tells her to go get her husband and come back to the well, she attempts to use this clever half-truth to tell him that she isn't married. And then during the course of this conversation with Jesus, we learn that she's been divorced five times and is currently living with a man who isn't her husband. And at this point, even in our modern day culture, most would attach a label to her without even knowing her whole story. You see, some read this and we assume that she's a, maybe a prostitute or at the very least a woman with a shady past somewhere on that spectrum. We can't help but imagine her embarrassment of being called out yet again for her shortcomings and her faults, and by a Jew nonetheless, a man with whom her people didn't even associate with. And I wonder if her combative tone and the way she redirected the conversation was a defense tactic to avoid speaking about that which has already caused her so much pain and brought her to this place of isolation. And even though she attempts to bait Jesus with tricky questions and direct his attention elsewhere, he never once speaks condescendingly or despairingly to her. Why? Are you ready for some alternative wisdom? What if I said that this story, this woman in the story was not a prostitute or that she didn't even have a shady past? She was nowhere on that spectrum. Yet, When millions of Christians listen to her story preached, they're likely to hear men and women like me describe her in those terms. After all, that was what I was told my entire uh, church life growing up. Even in Bible college, this story was about a sinful, dirty, shameful woman. Why is that? What about her story that makes us assume that? What do we know about her story? Well, we know that she's a Samaritan woman who Jesus encounters by a well. And Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. And women and men in this culture, generally, they kept a safe social distance from each other. So she is uh, doubly surprised when Jesus asks her for a drink. And then when she makes a remark to that effect, when he offers her living water, confused but intrigued, she asks him about this miraculous water. And he eventually invites her uh, to call her husband. And when she replies that she has no husband, he agrees You have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband, Jesus says. And that's it. That's the sentence that has branded her as what people like conservative preacher John Piper would say in his sermon, where he describes her as a worldly, sensually-minded, unspiritual harlot from Samaria. And at another point in his sermon, he goes as far as to call her a whore. Yet there is nothing in this passage that makes this an obvious interpretation. Neither John as the narrator or Jesus as the central character supply that information. Or even indicate that that might be what's going on. Jesus at no point invites her to repentance. Or for that matter speaks to sin at all. We have read in other places in John's gospel where Jesus might say something like go and sin no more. But you won't find that in the story. Why? Well, because maybe that's not what's going on. She very easily could have been widowed 
or have been abandoned or divorced, which in ancient world was pretty much the same thing for women. Five times would be heartbreaking, but not impossible. Further, she could be living with someone that she was dependent on or be what's called a Leverite marriage where a childless woman is married and then her deceased husband's brother, in order to produce an heir, is not technically considered the brother's wife. There are numbers of ways, in fact, that one might imagine this woman's story as tragic rather than scandalous. Yet most preachers assume the latter. But it feels like the kind of detailed assessment of her from someone like John Piper says so much more about the assessor than the assessed. We don't know why she's been married so often. Maybe she was a teen bride, widowed, and then passed along the line of her elder, uh, elderly husband's elderly brothers, right? Or maybe she was divorced for being infertile. Maybe she lured men into her trap, killed them after a year of marriage, and just kept getting away with it, right? <laughs> Who knows? All we, knows, all we know is that no matter if it, the wound was self-inflicted or inflicted by others or a combination of the two, she had a wound like we all do. And maybe that wound made her want to not be seen by other women. Maybe the Samaritan woman wanted to fill her water jar, but also very much wanted to avoid the other women who traditionally would have been there at the first light to avoid the heat of the day. Perhaps she couldn't relax around them Perhaps she didn't want to be seen because sometimes being seen is painful, even if it's also the very thing we all want. But as the story goes, this plan of not being seen didn't work out for her because Jesus is there at the well. And not only does he chat with a woman, not only does he chat with a woman who is an ethnic outsider, not only does he chat with a woman who is an ethnic outsider who has had five husbands, But this by far is the longest conversation Jesus has with anyone in the Gospels. And I'm not even sure if the entire conversation is recorded in the book of John. I'd like to think, based on something that she says later to the people in her town, that Jesus spent time listening to her and speaking into her life. I'd love to imagine that as she faced the shame and guilt of being broken, unclean perhaps, Tears escaping her eyes, sliding down dust-covered cheeks, that Jesus gently lifts her chin, wiped away the tears, and told her of a great worth and value to the Father. You see, some of us here, we've gone through a divorce. Some of us, multiple ones. Messy breakups, people talk. You've walked many paths alone, wearing the label of outcasts and shouldering the judgment of your peers. Maybe you've baited And redirected and avoided many conversations to avoid facing your past. Maybe you've wandered in the desert at the hottest times of day with a deep need unmet. Never expecting to encounter Jesus the way this woman did. But it only took one meeting with Jesus to change this woman forever. An amazing point to note in verse 29. Then leaving her jar Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I've ever did. Could this be the Christ? This woman was so excited to tell the people of her town, the very people who shunned her, about this man who had detailed every part of her life. The very thing she used to avoid and try to hide, she was now publicly proclaiming. 
And she was so excited, in fact, that she left her water jar behind in haste to go and tell everyone about this encounter. But why? Because Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has seen her. He has seen her plight of dependence, not immorality. He recognized her. He spoke with her. He offered her something of incomparable worth. He has seen her. She exists for him. She has worth, value, significance. And all of this is treatment to, to which she is unaccustomed to. And so when he speaks of her past, both knowingly and compassionately, she realizes that she is in the presence of a prophet. And for this reason only does she risk the central question that has divided Samaritans and Jews for centuries. This is no awkward dodge of an academic diversion. This is a heartfelt question that gets to the core of what separates her from Jesus. And when Jesus surprises her with an answer that is simultaneously more hopeful and penetrating than she'd expected, she leaves her water jar behind to tell her neighbors about this man. And all of that is amazing. But what I want you to hear this morning is this. He says to her that he offers her living water that gushes up to eternal life. And when she says, give me that water so that I may not thirst, he goes straight for her wound. She says, give me this living water And he asked her about her husband. You see, he wasn't avoiding the subject. He was avoiding the BS. You want to stop trying to quench your thirst with things that will never satisfy? You want this eternal life? Then it starts with being seen. It starts with the truth, the naked truth of your original wound and your original beauty and everything good and bad that's about you. Some of you have heard that it's said that water finds its lowest point. Well, living water finds your lowest point. The living water offered by Jesus Christ finds your lowest point and flows to your original wound. The thing that you spend so much energy trying to heal through all the insufficient ways in relationships, religion, success, degrees, therapy, working out, trying to get your parents to love you more. There are millions of ways in which we substitute for God and try to make sure that our damage is not seen. Catholic theologian James Allison describes faith not as intellectually ascending to a set of like theological propositions. He describes faith as relaxing. Relaxing in the love and presence of God And the way we relax in the presence of someone that we are certain is fond of us. When we are in the presence of someone we are certain is fond of us, we are funnier, more spontaneous, softer, less defended. If I know for sure someone likes me and loves me, there's no reason to pretend anything. And so James Allison says, faith is relaxing. I think this is what happened to the woman at the well. I think living water found a crack in her defenses and trickled down to her lowest point, her deepest wound, her greatest need. 
for maybe the first time she was able to relax. In fact, she relaxed so much she totally forgot that her water jar was there and left it. And we need to see the water jar as a metaphor for what we think will quench our thirst, but never does. And I would bet that many of us in here this morning have some water jars that we need to forget about, right? Things that we, that we think will make us whole, that will hide our wounds, that will make us lovable. We need to let those jars slip from our hands without even caring they're gone. Because being known and loved and forgiven is our true form by our true God. It can quench our spiritual thirst in a way that no amount of success or admiration or romantic love ever could. And I don't know why that in God's economy that our greatest wound, our deepest shame, our greatest sin is also our greatest gift and our greatest teacher. I just know it is. This is how seen you are by God. And whatever the lowest point of you is, whatever the deepest wound, the vilest sin, the damaged thing that's in you, the living water of Christ's compassion will find it, can find it, has found it. And you can just leave your jars behind. Watch this video. I am a woman of no distinction, of little importance. I am a woman of no reputation, save that which is bad. You whisper as I pass by and cast judgmental glances, though you don't really take the time to look at me or even get to know me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And otherwise, what's the point in doing either one of them in the first place? I want to be known. I want someone to look at my face and not just see two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and two ears, but to see all that I am and could be, all my hopes, loves, and fears. That's too much to hope for, to wish for, or pray for, so I don't, not anymore. Now I keep to myself, and by that I mean the pain, pain that keeps me in my own private jail, the pain that's brought me here at midday to this well. To ask for a drink is no big request, but to ask it of me, a woman unclean, ashamed, used and abused, an outcast, a failure, a disappointment, a sinner. No drink passing from these hands to your lips could ever be refreshing, only condemning, as I'm sure you condemn me now, but you don't. You're a man of no distinction, though of the utmost importance, a man with little reputation, at least so far. You whisper and tell me to my face what all those glances have been about, and you take the time to really look at me, but don't need to get to know me for to be known is to be loved and to be loved is to be known. And you know me, you actually know me, all of me and everything about me, every thought inside and hair on top of my head, every hurt stored up, every hope, every dread, my past and my future, all I am and could be. You tell me everything you tell me about me. And that which is spoken by another would bring hate and condemnation. Coming from you brings love, grace, mercy, hope, and salvation. I've heard of one to come who would save a wretch like me. And here in my presence, you say, I am he. To be known is to be loved. And to be loved is to be known. And I just met you, but I love you. I don't know you, but I want to get to. Let me run back to town. This is way too much for just me. There are others, brothers, sisters, lovers, haters, the good and the bad, sinners and saints, who should hear what you've told me, who should see what you've shown me, who should taste what you gave me, who should feel how you forgave me. For to be known is to be loved. And to be loved is to be known. And they all need this too. We all do need it for our own. 
if the band could join me on stage. The question is, are you wanting to be known? Known for who you truly are. Not what others say about you, not defined by your past or your current condition. But defined by someone who sees through you and knows you and still loves you. Is that where you want to find your identity? Or do you just want to keep filling your water jars with other things? I don't know why you've come here today. Maybe it's what you do every Sunday. Maybe you're part of this faith community. And you come here and you invest in people and people invest back into you. And you're challenged by the messages. And you come here wanting to connect and grow in your faith. Maybe you came this morning because you like to think that you're a regular attender, right? But it's more like once a month or maybe sometimes twice a month. Maybe you're, you honestly just came here because it's Easter or you come on Easter and Christmas and that's okay. That's not what church is about. We don't keep attendance records here. Church is about finding a community where you can become and be yourself. Lay down your defenses. Place where you can be known and loved. Where you want to come and, and engage the story and grow and then go out and tell others about it. The message or the question I'm asking you this morning is what have you come to, the, to, to gather into your jar this morning? What is it in your life that you go after to fill the parts of you that are empty? What is your lowest spot of shame? That for years you, you haven't been able to talk to about to anyone. You've avoided conversation with friends and loved ones and, and the church and, and even God. Can today's visit to the well be any different for you? Could you come and receive something new and something fresh, something alive like the living water? Could it transform you in such a way that you would be willing to leave your water jar behind? Could it capture you in such a way that you wouldn't even know that it was gone? See, I like this selection in scripture. It's so beautifully captures the way Christ comes to us all. He meets us where we're at, just as we are. And we leave the encounter rejuvenated and refocused. Because he fills us to overflowing. And we find ourselves focusing on him. Instead of the shame and guilt that we've been carrying. Or the things that we thought we needed to fill our water jars. And even when Jesus is pointing out these hard truths to us, he's kind and loving and he's never condescending or or disparaging. But instead he gently turns our gaze from the sin of our past to the hope of our future in him. So have you met this Jesus? Maybe your story is nothing like the Samaritan woman's. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is in your past or even in your present Jesus is the living water that will fill you up and never leave you wanting. No longer must we travel lonely paths, shouldering the burden of being an outcast. Jesus is waiting. Come to the water, drink him in. In a few minutes, we're going to open up the communion tables. Matt's going to come in a moment. He's going to lead us through communion. But as you come to the table this morning, to receive the living water, I want you to leave your water jar behind. So when you come to this table, I want you to relax 
because the living water has found you and take the grace and leave your water jar behind. You were all given a water bottle with a blank label. And while the band plays this next song, I want you to think about what it is in your life that you keep trying to fill in that jar. Where's your lowest place? What's something you've been holding on to that you just need to let go? And I want you to write it on that label. And as you come to take communion, I want you to drop it and leave it as you receive grace, mercy, love from from the Father who loves you just the way you are. Sit, listen to this song.